watch your hands from older fields when you think of what remains if only once tonight you would shake your head in real delight when you think of what remains is it strange is it strange is it strange in a world of animals that the kings are cannibals anyway is it strange is it strange is it strange that the earth was split in two separating old from new anyway and here at night I was waiting for I am waiting for the field to fill with light here at night I was waiting for I am waiting for of folks gathered on Christmas Eve in a barn the night before Christmas. Everybody, I'm so grateful 
that you are all here. Uh, welcome to the farmhouse and uh, a night like tonight, Christmas Eve. This night's incredibly important to who we are and why we do what we do. We're, we're hoping to reimagine our rural place as we move into our future, and, and we seek to do that. We attempt to do that by reimagining the role of the church in this place and cultivating transformation and trying to be the source of health, or you could say uh, wholeness, goodness, salvation, peace, beauty, trying to, to foster that here. That, that's what this night is all about. And so as we exist as a bunch of human beings in community together, trying to become more the people we're created to be and doing so so we can build a better world. That's why the farmhouse exists, and I think that's what we have to be inspired by on a night called Christmas Eve. So as we celebrate this beautiful, profound story tonight, the hope is that we will all join that story more fully. And we have a meaningful night planned. We're going to set the tone with a meditation that explores why this story still matters. We're going to tell the Christmas story, but in a unique way. It's a story that we're familiar with, and so can we tell it from a different angle and try to bring out some nuances that we might not have paid attention to before. And we're going to have an appearance from uh, St. Nicholas, but it's not what you think, so don't get your hopes up on that one. And uh, of course, we are going to bask in the tunes that make this night so beautiful. And we have Noah has put together some amazing stuff for you tonight, and we're joined by the wonderfully talented Roger Tipping. Give them a hand, everybody. So there will be some familiar pieces tonight. There will be some unfamiliar pieces tonight, but the hope is that we will move from Advent to Incarnation. The hope is that we will see the reality of the world and why this still matters so much. The hope is that you will experience something that changes you so that you leave differently than when you came in, so that you leave and you celebrate Christmas in a way that shapes who you will become over the next year. That's what this night is all about. The, the, the world is turning in a different direction. The last word hasn't been spoken. The story is still on the move, and God is still putting the world back together. And so we have much to celebrate. And as our stories are unfolding, we, we find ourselves in the announcement of incarnation, which is this great reversal, but it's also a great invitation because it involves you. So the hope is that our stories will be shaped by this one, that our imaginations will be informed by the beauty of this night that moves from darkness to light, from absence to presence, from advent to incarnation, so that we'll see what it means for a baby to be born into this world, for God to be among us that, who created the universe. And so we're going to begin as it is the night before Christmas. We will begin with where the story begins, the realization that we still need Messiah to come and continue what started at this birth. And as that night was unromantic and messy, I mean, full of animal manure and the desolate isolation of a cave, I think it makes sense that a bunch of messy people like myself are gathered in a barn to orient ourselves towards the same beautiful, profound light. And so if you are ready to go on this journey this evening, I invite you to sit, make yourself comfortable, and allow this meditation to speak to you. So let's get started. Let's begin the journey of this holy day called Christmas Eve. The birth of this baby makes possible 
this revolutionary new way of being human. Jesus is confronting this mess that has been made of the humanity project. And this birth is inviting us to be a part of it in putting the world back together. And so, in what is easily the busiest time of year, I invite you to stop. And let's begin journeying through this story to walk through the transition of tonight where we move from Advent to this kind of Christmas where Jesus confronts a world that desperately needs to change. And so I invite you to sit. Take a couple deep breaths. And as you feel that breath fill your lungs, remove yourself from wherever you have been to where you are now. And I want you to imagine. Imagine being a peasant teenager. You've been poor your whole life. You've been forced to function as an adult in your household and village, and your family depends on you just as you depend on them. You are intimately connected. And I want you to imagine that your village is in a kind of imperial slavery. You're constantly surrounded by valiant war horses. These people kidnap your villagers, they beat your people, they take your money and resources. And I want you to imagine that this is not a new thing. This is the same situation that's been happening to your people for the last 600 years. What started with a hope of prophets proclaiming that this would change, that's long gone. You've given up that anything will be different. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. And I want you to imagine, as a teenager in this oppressive empire, that you're pregnant. And supposedly it's an abnormal pregnancy, but it's without the committed household economy and family structure that is normal and there are laws to do with people like you. And yet you are claiming that this child is going to confront this empire that's oppressing you. You've proclaimed that in 600 years of nothing happening, God is finally showing up. He's showing up through you. Now imagine that you're leaving with this man that you're engaged to, and you're traveling to his place of heritage to have the government check you in. And it's a beautiful story. God's light is coming into the world. And yet you agreeing to leave your village and head towards this other town means that you're agreeing to leave your people potentially forever. And your agreement to go through with this birth and to leave with this man, you would be leaving as a dead daughter to all of these people as you begin the multiple day journey with nothing in your hands to a place and a future that is unknown. And imagine as you get there, having no place to stay. It's what we would call a refugee, being rejected to a cave as a Middle Eastern family with no place to go. Imagine this world where governments use their power to oppress. Imagine a world that is constantly on the verge of war. Imagine a world where slavery exists where it still exists today to supply our way of life. Imagine a world where empires dominate the global landscape, forcing its will on civilians as we pursue luxury and comfort at the expense of other people, and where we're even willing to sacrifice the earth for it. Imagine if millions of people were displaced for all of this. And imagine if we celebrated a story of a Middle Eastern family with no place to go while ignoring and speaking against Middle Eastern families with no place to go. 
Imagine a world where tribes are so bound together that they isolate themselves from others, divide themselves from others, and begin to hate others. Imagine a world where politicians seek out control more than doing good, where propaganda determines the quality of life for the day, where we hide behind skeletons of moral failure like sexual harassment, where controlling resources and knowledge supersedes healthy people, especially if it is beneficial to their political career in a modern-day Rome. Imagine where we characterize those different from us and pit ourselves against them. Imagine a world where we don't get along because of things like race and culture and gender and nationality, where people are killed and discriminated against because of how they look and act and think. Imagine a world where three billion people live on less than $2 a day, where one billion people do not have access to sanitary water. Imagine if 65% of our culture was dying from having too much of these things, where we spend $117 million in healthcare for obesity, inflammation, and having too much. Imagine a world where your future is uncertain, where 1,500 people die every day from cancer, where multiple people are evicted from their homes and have foreclosure even just in this community alone. Imagine a world where the middle class is dwindling because of financial insecurity and we have to worry if we're going to make it one more year, where one mistake could send the whole thing into failure. Imagine a world where children are taken and kidnapped. Imagine a world where mothers have to bury their children every single day, even in this place. Imagine a world where hurricanes destroyed economies and villages, where wildfires continued to take lives. Imagine a world where addiction still pervades our families, where one in ten people are dangerously addicted to some sort of substance. Imagine a world where the overdose death rate has quadrupled in the last 15 years. Imagine a world where we don't feel safe walking down the street. Imagine a world where your family isn't perfect. Imagine a world where they had an affair, where one in 10 households are divorced, where marriage is a struggle every single day. Imagine a world where we feel insecure, where we've lost the plot of our lives and we are out of control. Imagine a world where you might miss the point on something and it's hard to own up on it, where our selfish decisions have negative consequences and it seems like our past is always catching up with us. On this night of Christmas Eve, imagine a world where God isn't in charge, where things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Imagine that the world that Jesus came into is the world we still need Jesus to come into today. Imagine if this story is actually our story. But imagine that this story is continuing. And imagine that you are being invited to be a part of it. We have gone through the journey of Advent and it leads us here to this night. And as we sit and we contemplate the world before us, the world in which we live, the question before us is, will Emmanuel come? What would it look like for that cosmic voice to pierce our world?
And so I invite you, as we sing this next song, we will light the candles. There will be people coming by on your sides, and we will hope for this light that will sit in front of us. It is the night before Christmas, and my city is burning. Months now, it's been like this. I sleep during the day when it's warm, 
because at night, I'm the only one my family can spare to go out scavenging for anything to eat or fuel to burn. Most nights, I go to bed and spend all day sleeping because that's easier than finding something to eat. The food is needed elsewhere. Our city is on the edge of the kingdom, a border town. And that distance from the center of the land gives us a certain freedom to govern ourselves, which normally results in a good thing. But when famine strikes, as it has this autumn, we turn on each other. And my city is burning even at night. I close my eyes. All hours, there are fires and the accompanying noises of the city that is cannibalizing itself. My mother says I'm too young to see what I've seen. I think maybe we all are. I go out each night and mostly hide. I accomplish very little. The rebellious men, once my neighbors, once my fellow countrymen, are now coursing through the city, their eyes full of hunger, taking what they want from whom they can find. Structures and shelters are dismantled to provide fuel for their carousing and their drunkenness, and I hear them howling all night. I feel like I accomplish very little. There are a few trying to do something to stave off the madness, but our city is rotten, and most of them are beggars without any authority or power. People following the example of one who's risen up to, to mend broken pottery and fix broken shelters and tear his own clothes to provide shelter or cool rags for those with a fever, and my father calls them idiots, and I sort of agree with him. There is no future in sharing what you don't have enough of. The king is likely sending an army to crush us and wipe us out. And honestly, I dream of the day when there is not a brick left in this city standing on another. When there are no more fires burning in the middle of the night. I just want cool darkness and peace. I just want to sleep. I don't want to go out again. Put out your lights. They are a curse to me. They are a burden, and this city has no need of them.
before Christmas and the young teenager found herself in a cold dark cave. I can only imagine what it must have been like enduring nine months of pregnancy in an ancient occupied primitive village with no medical technology and depressive soldiers watching your every move. The thing I can't imagine is the eternal pain of the soul that making that three-day trip on the back of a lowly donkey with a man whom you were engaged to, but with a child who wasn't his. Making this decision meant leaving your family for good and being marked for life as an adulteress. But supposedly, this pregnancy was different. Because all that had gone wrong since creation, all of the hope that God hadn't given up on Israel, all of the waiting for the seemingly endless exiles to come to an end was going to enter the world through this one young girl. The hope that Israel's story wasn't over, the hope that the barrenness of God's creation was going to once again come to life, the hope that the world was going to turn resided deep within her soul. God was still putting the world back together, even though it didn't seem like it, and the story was going to continue through her. How would you respond to that situation? Of knowing that you would undertake the great risk because a child was conceived in you, who would be called the one who saves, 
that God was going to be Emmanuel with Israel again. But it would mean losing everything. Like the radical prophets who came before her, the prophet Mary responded by saying, Here I am. Let it be so. The Gospel of Luke puts it this way. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. For he has looked upon with favor and the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. The Mighty One has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel according to the promises that he made to our ancestors. It is often inquired, Mary, did you know? Of course she knew. And despite everything it would cost, everything despite being left alone with no one but the lonely shepherds to be with her in a cold, dark cave, and the world continuing to spin in its rambunctious activity, she said yes. She heard the divine challenge to conceive the very life of God, to bring forth a new creation, a new world, a new hope, to partner with God in putting this world back together again. And on that night before Christmas, Mary, the poor abandoned teenager in the cold, dark cave said, Let's do this. And in response, the world would turn. Blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, for through it the world is about to turn. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet, while shepherds watch our
It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, no one had eaten, not even a mouse. Being a low-born family from Myra, food was hard to come by, and with no fire to keep you warm, your family huddled together waiting for the dawn to break, in hopes that a man from Myra just might show up when all of a sudden a clatter was heard, and we sprang to the door to see what occurred. But as we opened the door, he was gone in a flash, so we ran to the window and threw open the sash. A loaf of bread sat there, such a gift in our need, on this cold Christmas night with the children to feed. Then we caught a glimpse of the one they called Saint, for it was Nicholas of Myra, and his mission was anything but quaint. He was known for being a radical confrontation to the church, who had lost its way in the fourth century and was willing to stand against any empire that dared squelch a revolution of Jesus. He was known as the benevolent gift giver. But it wouldn't have to be as a fat man in a red suit magically sweeping down the chimney to give affluent kids toys they didn't need. It would be a knock at the door. After sneaking under the cover of darkness to avoid the authorities as he ran the door open to rescue women from slavery. Or leaving a bag of gold for a family that was about to lose everything to the government. You're on your last crust of bread. Keep an eye on that window because St. Nicholas might show up. This gift giver was about lifting the lowly, the misfits, and the abandoned to health and life and peace. He was known as the patron saint of anyone in dire distress. He evolved into the character we all call Santa Claus. But he was a man that confronted the empire, broke the rules, and changed the world. This is the guy who gave his entire inheritance over to tax, over tax peasants and was known for standing between the executioner and the one condemned to death. He was less the guy who would show up with reindeer and give your family a magical Christmas morning, and more the guy who would kick down the door of the rich, take their money, and give it away. St. Nicholas would probably be killed in our world today. This isn't what we'd want from Santa Claus. But I think he would equally be disturbed with what we've done with him in his holiday. Because his gifts, his way of life, his response to reincarnation, his gifts were meant to bring peace, shalom to the world that desperately needed it. His gifts were an attempt to take his Christmas story and continue what Jesus started in the world. St. Nicholas knew that Mary was a perfect example. And just as Mary said yes so beautifully, Nicholas committed his life to doing the same. Maybe St. Nicholas is a reason for the season. Maybe we need to put St. Nicholas back in Christmas. Because he saw what started at the incarnation, and he said yes to it, and is a faithful example of the one who has continued the story. Maybe we can learn from St. Nicholas of Myra now. Christ. 
stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he before Christmas, and our invitation comes from an ancient theologian named Gregory of Nyssa. What happened in the body of Mary will happen in everyone who receives the life of God. Most of us know the Christmas story, and what we need is not just to hear the story again, but to respond to it. Because the story of the world was not finished at Christmas, on that day, the story began anew. And the way the incarnation will continue, as the Gospels tell us again and again, is through us. The question tonight is not whether or not incarnation has occurred, but the question is, what will we do with it? Will we, like St. Nicholas, follow the example of Mary? Will we birth the life of God into the world? Because the problems in our lives and in the world remain. The darkness lingers. The story must move forward, but it will not happen through the same ways that have allowed the problems to continue. The story will only move forward if we birth something new into the pattern of the one who showed us the way. You must continue this birth. And the reality of being a human is that your life will give birth to something, and every minute that your existence, you're bringing something forth into the world. Will it be the life of God, or will you manifest the very world that we need to be saved from? Will you look in the mirror and see the very reflection of incarnation, of God's image? Will you, on this night before Christmas, respond the same way that Mary did? 
because you are in being invited to midwife the very life of God into the world. So may you ponder these things in your soul and discover the answer to that question. What is being conceived in you? How will you respond to this story? Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace on earth and mercy mild God and sinners reconciled Joyful all ye nations rise Join the triumph of the skies With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace Hail the Son of Righteousness Light and life to all he brings Risen with healing in his wings Mild he lays his glory by Born that man no more may die Born to raise the sons of earth Born to give them second the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king glory to the newborn king It is still the night before Christmas. I have finally dragged myself to the task of survival. There is a certain rhythm to this city now, a fever that throbs, but I've heard no real music in the last months. Tonight that rhythm has changed. There is something lacking, fewer out carousing, out causing trouble. And the few I do see all move with a purpose towards one common goal. And as I steal from alleyway to alleyway and drag myself up to rooftops to hide, I realize there's a congregation happening in the center of town. Curious despite myself, I get as close as is safe and then a little closer. And I see that something is already happening. A conversation is taking place between a warlord 
one of the very rebellious men who incited neighbor to withdraw from neighbor for hate to replace charity. And he is speaking with the beggar who has been chief among those trying to make a dent in a doomed city. The crowd is not agitated, they're still. And so I draw closer again, low murmurs as people hearing what's being said passed along to those behind them. But I don't have to know what's being said to see the powerful man suddenly begins to cry, to tear his garments, to weep. And he says to the beggar, truly, you're wise, but it is also just as true that it is too late. There is no going back. Blood is not precious in this city anymore. I have shed it with my own hands. I have urged its shedding for vengeance or for sport. And we deserve the destruction that is surely being sent by the king. The beggar said, I have come among you. I have taught those who would hear a better way. And even you now hear me. The man is inconsolable. Too late. Too late. Even now the king rides to wipe us out. And the beggar says, No, I do not. I didn't realize how many hours had passed since I'd begun my work, but in the eastern sky, golden light starts to trickle in over the horizon. And it glints off of the crown that the beggar retrieves from the rags around him. Painted velvet, old finery that he's torn and retorn to bandage the wounds of our rebellious city. And we recognize him for the king that he is. Somewhere, someone starts singing. The first song I've heard since the cold weather set in. And suddenly there is a festival to commemorate the dawning of Christmas. Singing, celebrating, food appears from those who had plenty, who were hiding it from those who had enough. And the parade that forms that carries this man forward is intent on the redemption of our city. But I don't go with them. I hesitate a moment, two moments, but I run the other way to the shelter where my family is hiding from a people that is no longer trying to eat them alive. And I pound on the door and I yell. I say, Father, the city is burning. Merry Christmas. Before anything else, there was darkness, there was chaos, there was emptiness. But in the midst of that reality, that which is beyond all things, the force that makes existence possible, some would call this the divine, enters into the chaos and brings forth the world simply by speaking. And the words used to claim 
this act of a creation is God saying, it is good. But then as you follow the story, it all goes wrong. It gets off track. We lose the plot. And for most of us, we straddle an existence that is not good. And we have this deep gnawing in our beings that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We exist in the space between. The story starts good, but then it goes back to darkness. And here we are, and we've waded through that darkness. We have stared at the door of the prison cell that can only be opened from the outside. And the beautiful word of Christmas is that in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the darkness, the door has been opened. The light we have been waiting for is here. All the lights are on and everything Advent has been pulling us towards is fulfilled. Emmanuel has come. God is with us. The divine that spoke the world into being has entered our story and is at work. And it's almost as if Christmas is God announcing to the world that the story doesn't end there that I haven't given up, that God is putting the world back together and is announcing, let's make this thing good again. But what is strange is that this announcement happens through the cry of an infant, which if I was to tell you that the hope of the world, the medium for the fulfillment of God's kingdom was coming through a small newborn infant, I imagine you would be a bit disappointed because babies aren't really capable of a whole lot. And yet, when God does this, that's how God decides to initiate the next part of the story. See, Christmas isn't a fix. It isn't the end of the story. It's the beginning of a new one. It is the prison door being opened. It is the first page of the story being retold, which is why the gospel, after taking us through Advent, portrays Jesus's coming as a sort of new creation. Each of the Gospels positions Jesus' entrance in the world as a sort of retelling of how it all began in the first place. As if what happened in the beginning is somehow happening again. But the way that God decides to make this happen is through a baby. Which maybe this is why one of the Gospel writers named Luke says that this is good news for all people. So, so Christmas, who, who's it for? Which people? All of them. Like the shepherds who show up first, the outcast, the marginalized, the strange, or like the poor peasant parents with no place to go in this intense shame of an illegitimate pregnancy, or like Herod, the guy who sends soldiers to go and kill this child. The gift of incarnation, this hope, this thing that God is doing, it's for everyone. Which is why Christmas isn't God just saying, it's good again. It is God saying, let's make this thing good again. It involves us. You are part of Christmas, even you. The hope is that as you go through Advent, it is like you have been looking at this manger. But the entire time the, the manger is empty, the hope for everything, it's not there. And so you sit in that and you feel that with the depth of your being, you enter into that darkness and that absence that is an empty manger. 
And all of a sudden, you get to this day and a baby is born and a vacated manger that represents all of the emptiness of our world has now been inhabited in a beautiful, transformative way. The manger is full. It is finally happening. But what we have to see is that is a manger, which means it is going to happen a little differently than you might have expected. So today, as you celebrate Christmas, may you hear the faint cry of a newborn child saying, let's together make this thing good again. May you hear the divine voice calling out to a world of brokenness and pain and chaos and darkness that all the lights are on. And through the piercing yell of that divine breath filling these lungs for the first time, may you hear God reaching out to this world, all of it through a baby saying, God is doing something again. God is present. God is putting the world back together. But he says it through this child in this manger. And the child is saying, let's make this thing good again. Merry Christmas. Here we are, the night before Christmas, in a barn full of changing lights and strange stories and beautiful tones of music that have been our communal prayer the entire time. And what I find powerful about Christmas Eve, this transition from Advent to Incarnation, is that it is the story of our world. We find ourselves in a world that is so full of brokenness and wandering, disconnection, pain and suffering. We find ourselves in a world where we can certainly say, all's not the way it's supposed to be. We find ourselves in a world where domination and oppression, hatred and selfishness have destroyed light and life, peace and joy, goodness and beauty. And yet, in the midst of the city where all has gone wrong, we find, disguised in the lowly form of a beggar, the king has been with us the entire time. The king has not given up See, as you go through Advent, when you, when you feel this world in your bones, it's easy to say. It still feels like Caesar is Lord. It still feels like Herod is king. It still feels like there's a tremendous amount of darkness and absence and waiting. There's a tension that the light that began at Christmas is not full yet. It's like we live in the world of an empty manger an empty symbol for what was supposed to happen, an empty hope for what would be done with the chaos and the pain and the selfishness. The manger is empty. There's good news. The story doesn't end there. It's good news. It's not over. That's not the way the story ends. king showed up, and the king is going to turn this thing back around. See, we get here, and we can hear this, you could call it Mary news, because a baby has been born, and that changes everything. It doesn't end with an empty manger. It doesn't end with darkness. It, it doesn't end with your past. It doesn't end with your perceived failure. It doesn't end with your messed up family. 
doesn't end with the hopes that maybe we all will get together at some point. It doesn't end with your frustration that you can't change and grow and lead the life that you want to. It doesn't, the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with a government that can't make up its mind. It doesn't end with an economy that doesn't make sense. It doesn't end with a culture that tells us that our value comes from those with prestige and power and control. The story doesn't end with a community that is divided and fractured. The story doesn't end with the decline of rural places. The story doesn't end with an empty manger because a baby has been born, and that changes everything. Like, how do we have hope in a world such as this? Because God hasn't stopped acting. The creator that brought the world into existence has been pulsating through the fabric of creation the entire time. It's not over. Hope exists because the possibility that it doesn't have to be this way. That the future doesn't have to be like the past. See, Christmas isn't, it inaugurates the revolution of the way things have been. That the current state isn't the end of things. How it is, is not how it will be. And the story might be written, but the author is still writing. For that, we can have hope. For that, we can have joy. Because the last word hasn't been spoken. And we are invited to continue to proclaim a new word. as it's not yet Christmas, it is the night before Christmas, and you realize that the light we've been waiting for is here. But the beauty of how we do this is the light that we have been waiting for is going to be found with you. And so as people come by to relight your candles, 
I invite you to do so. Because the world is turning. The world is being put back together. The story isn't over. But remember, the barrenness of creation is alleviated by the birth of God in the form of this child. The incarnation of Messiah, the subtle presence of the King joining us incognito, shows us how to bring light to the darkness. The birth of that initial light is the example that shows us how to turn all of the lights on in the world. Two things we need to understand. First, Christmas is not a static event. It's not a one-off thing. Second, Christmas is not a bystander sport. Because the only way this story will continue is through you. The king has joined us, but the kingdom will only continue if we join the king. The light will come only if you continue to give birth to it, which will be difficult just as it was for Mary. But it will bring the very beautiful world that we long for. May this story conceive itself so holistically in your bones that you midwife it into existence. And as we sing this last song, may you again light your candle. For on this night before Christmas, reigniting that flame is a symbol of your decision to take responsibility for our future. If you decide to light your candle, may it be your response to follow the pattern of Mary and of St. Nicholas and to embody the incarnation with every cell of your being. Let us stand and let us sing. Pure light, radiant beam.
dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, What is being conceived in you? What world is going to midwife from your existence in this next year? That's the hope for what we might find on Christmas Eve. May you go and truly celebrate what this Christmas story is all about, including St. Nicholas, by the way. And as we go, may we find the light of the King shimmering in the life that you continue to live. And as the world is about to turn on this night before Christmas, may it turn because you too have said yes. Merry Christmas, everybody. Grace and peace be with you as we go. Joy to you.